And this is evidence-based eating, putting it all together, part one in three, two, one. Hi, this is Shay, and welcome back to Evidence-Based Eating. I'm here with a wonderful friend, Allie. Hi, Shay. Hi, Allie. Hi, Allie. Tell us about yourself. Uh, I am a fifth-year PhD student in psychology, and I've spent the past 10 years studying behavior science, and my research interests and just general life interests are looking at behavior change strategies for wellness, resilience, and healthy lifestyles in general. That is awesome, and that is why we brought you on the podcast today, because we are going to be talking about putting all of this information together and how to implement all this information into your life, making those behavior modifications. And so when um, you get through all of the episodes about you know genetics and hunger and macronutrients and micronutrients. It's a lot of information and it can feel very overwhelming. And it can also lead to feeling like there's uh, not a lot of direction because a lot of the recommendations are so broad and generalized. And today we want to get into how to take that information and individualize it to you and how to break it into digestible parts that you can implement into your life. And we're going to be using what's called acceptance and commitment training. Yeah, so acceptance and commitment training is my area of expertise. And what I really like about this approach, um, it's also referred to as ACT. So sometimes you'll see it written out in as like A-C-T in all capitals, um, and it's pronounced ACT. So what I really like about this approach is it really is a self-management approach to behavior change. And the research for it is really solid. There's about 35 to 40 years of research, not only on the applied side of acceptance and commitment training, but also in the basic science world of behavior change that support it. And it has been shown to be effective for a wide variety of issues and audiences. So ACT has predominantly been researched with chronic pain management, and it's an evidence-based approach for chronic pain. But there's also been research with using ACT in the context of working with chronic illness or cancer or weight management. Um, There's more research starting to come out, also looking at the impacts of ACT in resiliency and wellness, which is where my world has been moving. Um, and there's also a lot of really good research for with acceptance and commitment training with respect to anxiety and depression. Yeah, and it's been so well-researched and has so much evidence behind it that we use it in our medical school to teach medical students to be more resilient and to be really the best doctors that they can be and in line with the values that they came into medical school with. Yeah, it's really, I feel like I have been, so I've been studying ACT for about five or six years now, and I've been applying it to myself for probably also about five years because um, once you learn about it, it just, you can apply it in all aspects of your life. And it's really more, it's not like a very rigid protocol. It's kind of, you're learning these core processes of change. And once you lock them down, um, you can apply it again to every single aspect of your life. It's really, it's really more of a lifestyle than a strict intervention that you're on for a certain number of weeks and then you're no longer on it. It's kind of, once you learn these tips and strategies and you start to come into contact with them, helping you in whatever area that you originally started to use them for, you can really see these processes in every other area of your life. 
Yeah. And so one of the things that we were talking about earlier is that there aren't any bad foods. There are um, foods that are in line with our values at certain times. And there are foods that support our goals or foods that we would like to incorporate or eat less of as we make changes. And identifying what that is, is the whole point of this podcast so that you can go back and you can listen to the evidence and understand scientifically what carbohydrates are and fats are and proteins are. And then in this episode, you can think about, okay, I want to uh, know what my goals are, what are my values, what is the direction I want to take with this knowledge. And then we're going to have in our next episode, specifically for chronic diseases, um, like heart disease and diabetes, and then cancer, uh, how you can take a bunch of emotional decision-making um, that comes around with a diagnosis or with a life-altering um, condition and continue to live in line with your values and to continue to change your diet to be in line with the, your values. And so uh, if you have just finished listening to all of the previous episodes about what all these foods are, um, we want to start with identifying values and that value-based statement so you can take that information into context. Yeah, and so that's really the the key aspect of acceptance and commitment training is this values clarification process. Um, so just a little briefer about ACT. The purpose of ACT is ultimately to increase a person's psychological flexibility, which is essentially the ability to live more mindfully in the present moment. Um, and every moment being able to pivot and move in the direction of your values. And values are more of these overarching life directions that you as an individual define as what's truly important to you. So it really comes from this approach that at any moment in time, you always have the option to pivot and move towards these values. And you can think of values as kind of similar to a direction in life. So they're not these concrete objection, objective, uh, sorry, they're not these concrete objective goals that you can accomplish. Um, so for example, if you're moving in the direction of West, you can never fully accomplish or you're never 100% in the direction of, of West. And so a value would be more similar to that. So something like eating healthy or just your health you can always take a step every single moment to move in the direction towards your health. And once you identify that health is a value of yours, you break it down into committed actions, which are those concrete objective goals. And those are the steps that you take to move in the direction of your value. So if you identify, I want to start eating healthier as a value, you might want to start with the smallest possible goal to move you in that direction. So that goal might be, your very first goal could be, that means I'm just going to try to eat one vegetable a day, and that could be it, and that's your starting point. And doing that is a committed action. Um, there are four other key processes of ACT. So like I said, there's values and committed action, but there's also these other tools that are used more to, again, help you with those more when you have a psychological trigger or something, it's, it's hard, and you're kind of dealing with all the thoughts, feelings, and emotions surrounding that behavior change. And so mindfulness or that present moment contact, noticing 
you're when you're here now versus when you're having thoughts about the future or the past. And then there's the skill of diffusion, which is learning to create a healthy distance between you and your thoughts, feelings, and emotions. The process of acceptance, which is kind of learning to um, let the uncomfortable sensations, thoughts, feelings, emotions be with you versus trying to actively suppress them and pushing them away. And then there's perspective taking, which can be related to viewing yourself in relation to another person, but it's also viewing your identity as it kind of changes over time. So imagining how your past self would view a certain situation in the moment versus imagining how you'd like your future self to view a situation in the moment. And when you develop all six of these skills, um, that is how you foster this psychological flexibility, which you can also refer to as kind of resilience or the ability to continue to persistently move in the direction of your in persistently move in the direction of your values despite all the stressors and fears that might pop up as you move in that direction. Yeah, and so to put this into a uh, example, would you mind talking about your value of health and how you did a committed action of exercise because I on the end of my podcast I talk about the two main things if you could do anything is eat vegetables and move your body Mm -hmm. and when we think about health a lot of emotions can come up how we feel about health or what we identify as health and so for the simplicity of this podcast we're going to focus on health as the two things that every study agrees on which is move your body and eat vegetables Um, and so Ali has had a wonderful experience with this and yeah I'd be happy to talk about this. So as I said, um, I'm a full-time graduate student, which means I'm very busy and, or busier than I was in the past. And there's actually some research that shows that uh, graduate students do gain weight as a product of just being a student. And that could also be if you're a medical student or a nursing student, any sort of more rigorous higher education that you go into. So my healthy eating and exercise behaviors significantly decreased when I started med school, or I didn't start med school, when I started grad school. And I recently created a goal where I wanted to wake up every day at 5 a.m. to work out, which is uh, hard in two ways. Uh, The first way is that waking up at 5 a.m. is just hard for most people, especially when you have night classes and you're doing homework um, and you're trying to be a good friend to everyone and be a good family member. Um, So I gave myself the task of I want to wake up early because there's no other time that I'll be able to get this workout in and I want to do it Monday through Friday. And I, whenever I am making changes in my own habits, because I like to view behavior changes more as a more of a lifestyle or habit change, is I don't really jump in to begin with. There's some researchers, um, which I'm trying to look up the name. The researcher Prochaska has done some work on kind of these five stages of behavior change. And the first stage is this pre-contemplation stage where um, you're not really thinking about change. And then the next stage is contemplation. So this is the that's where you start to maybe you're just thinking about I'm going to change my behavior. And so um, I would say probably at the beginning of the year. It's November right now. I think around January of this year was when I started to think, 
I need to do something with my exercise. I need to find a way to get it in. I have a couple friends that go to the gym a few blocks away from my house every day at five. They've been doing it forever. They're super happy. They look really good. I want to start being more like them. So I just thought about it to myself privately for a while. And then the next part is I, I started thinking about it and then I started talking about it. So then I just started telling my friends, I am going to start working out in the mornings. I'm going to start going. And I just, for maybe a month, I was just talking about that this is something that I wanted to do. And then I finally started trying to go to the gym. And I failed a bunch of times. Um, there were, I was measuring my behavior as most behavior scientists do. And I noticed I was able to get to the gym probably on average two out of the five days of the week. Um, and I was normally able to nail it on Monday, nail it on Tuesday, and by Wednesday I would crash and come up with all of these excuses for why I couldn't do it. And, and can I pause you right yes. there? Because I think it's important to, at this point, talk about some of the things like diffusion mm -hmm. and um, acceptance and perspective taking because that is a normal transition that anyone will have as they start to exercise or change their diet is the moment where you have reached where your body wants to stop. So like you can only exercise so much before fatigue takes over, mm -hmm. before life stressors take over. Like that transition takes time. It's not like you wake up one day and you can work out five days a week. And so when you get to that transition point, that is like the crux. You're getting more negative feedback than positive feedback. Right. So you can use diffusion. And I think that's that's really what I did start to use is I am not blaming myself or saying that there was anything inevitably wrong with me and saying that or getting too rigidly attached to the thoughts that I can't do this. This is too hard. I'm never going to be one of those people. I was able to use the skill of diffusion to create a healthy distance between me and those thoughts and notice I'm having the thoughts that this is really hard and that I can't do this. And rather than putting it all on me, I started to look a little closer at my immediate environmental circumstances that were making it even more difficult for me to achieve that goal. Um, so, And also that brings into place some acceptance. Like I'm accepting that this is where yes. my body's at. Like I'm accepting that I was able to accomplish Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday is my new hurdle. Instead of like I have to do five or nothing people when ha when they have this all or nothing mentality uh, often give up before mm -hmm. they ever really get to the all part and instead of giving up we can take this perspective of look how awesome it is that I achieved Monday and Tuesday like that's way more than I yeah. achieved the week before and all of this uh, thoughts that I'm having they aren't me like it's I don't have to identify with the thought that I'm x y or z because I didn't make it on Wednesday right. and that's the diffusion part is saying like our habits are to identify with these negative or positive thoughts that we have in association with our action but if we have diffusion we can say interesting thought thank you thank Next you mine for having that thought yeah it's been a hard week I was able to use my perspective taking skills of stepping back and saying well my semester just started so I also have that going on so I'm going to be a little more compassionate towards that and then and then again, I was able to take the blame away from me and really look at what are the small things I can do that are going to immediately make things easier for me. Yeah. And so some of the stuff that I started to do was, okay, well, the I isolated. It was really the waking up part was the hardest part um, because those two days where I did make it to the gym 
once I was at the gym, I was perfectly happy. I was seeing my friends. I was contacting a lot of positive reinforcement. I had more energy throughout the day. Um, and I was more mindful of the things that I was eating because I had just expended all this energy into taking care of myself. But it was that that little pivot point um, uh, of just waking up was the hardest part for me. So I started to do some things the night before, like um, not looking at screens about 30 minutes before uh, falling asleep because there's been some information coming out showing that that makes it harder for you to fall asleep. I took some melatonin on a couple nights just to really help me fall asleep to change those sleeping habits. Um, and I also physically moved my cell phone, which is also my alarm clock, into a completely different room, which would force me to literally get out of my bed to turn the alarm off. I would set my water bottle up at night, set my workout clothes up at night, do everything that I could the night before when I had the energy to make it super, super easy to get out of bed. And then I also talked to my friends who had been showing up to the gym and are the loveliest of people. And I told them, if I'm not showing up at the gym, I want you to call me out on it and text me and ask me where I am and what's going on. And that gave me that kind of little social pressure nudge that I needed. So then I, by the time now I'm waking up, I'm literally having to get out of my bed and move in the other room just to turn off that annoying alarm clock. And then the moment I would pick up my phone to turn the alarm off, I would see a text from a friend saying, we're at the gym, can't wait to see you here. And so suddenly I'm thinking, okay, they're expecting me that I'm going to be here. I don't want to disappoint my friends. I told them that I wanted to do this. And that really helped me get to moving. And then the other thing that I was able to do during that is using my acceptance skills to accept the uncomfortableness of feeling really, really tired, mm -hmm. of I'm standing there looking at my phone, and now I'm at this point where I can just go back into bed because I am physically feeling exhausted right now, or I can accept that for these next couple weeks, this moment in time, I'm going to feel really physically exhausted. Yeah, and there's a balance between listening to your body and that acceptance of uncomfortableness because mm -hmm. sometimes we need to listen to our body and say like I'm really exhausted I need to rest like if you're sick or you have a really heavy stress load or something taking that time to be like this is an enormous amount of uh, environmental things that my body is processing is one yeah. aspect of self-care and then there's this other aspect of I acknowledge that I'm feeling fatigued and I'm going to continue on right. in service of my value because this fatigue is normal and okay and not actually in uh, telling me that I need to rest. It's yeah. just a life experience. And it really has been a balancing act of, so now I would say on average, I am consistently going to the gym five days a week, but I'm not saying that I'm 100% perfect and I'm nailing it every single time. There are still days where I wake up and the fatigue overcomes um, going to the gym and those are more of like these special situations where I had an unexpected meeting that w went really long or my class went over or I worked 14 hours the day before and my body really did need that rest yeah and it's been I've been able to use my present moment awareness skills to identify these very small differences between those levels of fatigue to know okay what is is 
where is my breaking point of fatigue where I really do need to sleep for that extra hour versus my mind having the chatter of you're feeling a little sleepy right now and bed is really warm and cozy and you should go do that. Right. And sometimes external uh, validators are really helpful in this. So for example, um, wearing a pedometer is really helpful. Like you might feel fatigued, but you're trying to average 10,000 steps per day, for example. And Every day that fatigue gets a little bit lighter. Mm -hmm. You can have that subjective analysis of my fatigue is getting lighter. Objectively, I'm still getting in my 10,000 steps. And then you might have a day where maybe you had a really stressful meeting or work went really long and you only got in 5,000 steps, but that fatigue feels like you got in 10,000 steps. Mm -hmm. And you can have that subjective of I had energy going into other parts of my life. And so this objective measure isn't the same. So one of the things that I think is really helpful is sleep analysis. So like you can have maybe a watch or even your phone do how many hours you're getting of rest. And if you're getting the same amount of hours and your day hasn't really changed and your fatigue is increasing, I would go talk to your doctor about that. But if your sleep is going down, like you're sleeping less every night and your fatigue is increasing, Mm -hmm. you know you need to sleep more. But if your sleep is the same and you feel fatigue and you just have to get through that first couple weeks of the transition, just know it takes several weeks to get through a transition and you have to have that acceptance of this fatigue is a normal part of this transition. And the interesting thing about the process of acceptance is it's kind of like, um, so we're in Reno, Nevada, where we're recording this podcast and there is this beautiful lake near us, Lake Tahoe, Mm -hmm. which is a lake of mountain water. Mm -hmm. So that means that the water is really ice cold. And what happens when you dip your toes into the water of Lake Tahoe is it immediately has like this ice cold stinging sensation but the and anyone who's been in a pool knows what I'm talking about the moment you go into a pool it feels really uncomfortable really startling stinging but the longer you sit in that pool your body starts to adapt to the temperature and suddenly you're it no longer feels like you're swimming in ice cold water it feels very refreshing and you're contacting that positive reinforcement and that's what that kind of change point that's kind of with acceptance is what's happening is it's not your body is going to start to adapt to those changes and that voice in your head that's saying this is really hard this is really hard you can't do it the more you learn to just sit and let that voice be there with you the more um the dimmer that voice is going to get yeah because that feeling you have of dipping your toes in it's the threat isn't real like it's Mm -hmm. the temperature of the water is not actually detrimental to your health it's just a change from the temperature you were at before and so the nerves in your foot are just telling you that yeah but because it's the same nerves that go off when you touch something hot that's going to burn we have like almost a startle reaction to it and that startle reaction creates an emotional response of ah Mm -hmm. but if you recognize like oh hey it's my nerves are just changing environments yeah I'm okay and it's the same of I'm having these thoughts that I can't do this I'm having the thought that this is hard I'm feeling extra fatigue because I'm changing my sleeping pattern yeah no creating that healthy distance between you and your thoughts and your feelings um is equivalent to noticing like my nerves are having this reaction because something is changing yeah and so I want to touch on the community aspect because this is a huge part of Um, making change. And you mentioned it in a very positive way where you had a community at the gym that reminded you and helped you and like uh, positively reinforces your behavior. And I had to explicitly tell them, hey guys, I need your help. 
I want you to give me praise when I show up. And when I don't show up, because that kind of negative aspect of social conditioning works for me personally, I told them, I want you to send me text messages saying, hey, where are you? Yeah. And so there's ways for people to get that same sort of positive reinforcement like if they don't have friends that are at the gym at 5 a.m., personal trainers, online communities, Mm -hmm. all sorts of other creative ways. But that's also become a – it can be positive at the beginning and it can be negative when your uh, committed action has to pivot. And so, um, for example – if your schedule were to change mm-hmm. and you weren't able to make the 5 a.m., maybe you had to go at 5 p.m. instead, but then your friends were like, we don't want to hang out with you if you don't want to come at 5 a.m., you have a real like emotional struggle inside, right? Yeah. You have like all this positive reinforcement for going at 5 a.m. And also, if you want to keep working out, you have to pivot based on your schedule and your committed action in line with other values, which are to do whatever you have to do at 5 a.m. and then exercise in the evening. And we see this a lot in diets. So, um, for example, if you eat you know, a standard diet, you're eating out a lot, your family, your family time is when you all go out to eat and you need to change your diet because it's in line with your values. Um, and nobody else is changing your diet around you. There's a lot of external pressure, um, and negative reinforcement in addition to the struggle of that transition. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that comes up is not only the things that people will verbally say, but also the thoughts that we have that people are having. So we might, for example, change to eat um, less processed foods and we go out to eat and we eat the salad bar, but everybody else is eating a burger, for example. And they might not actually say anything, but you might feel like they're thinking something because you aren't eating what they're eating, this Mm -hmm. burger. Um, And so again, with the diffusion and the acceptance in the moments where you are sort of almost counter uh, projecting, like you're projecting thoughts from them onto yourself a little bit, you're assuming what they're thinking. You can use acceptance and also diffusion to say like, I am separating myself from these thoughts and then I am accepting that I'm making a change. <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> that is in line with my values and that this change right now feels uncomfortable. Right. And if someone begins to give you external negative influence, can you talk a little bit about how you can center yourself so you, especially when they're strong, emotion like it's people yeah. in your family, it's your friends and, and they're probably just trying to understand your choices, but sometimes it can be triggering. It can trigger deep-seated emotional mm-hmm. uh, pain for us. Right. And so we talked about this um, before recording the podcast of just how much your eating is a really complicated behavior because it's a behavior we engage in multiple times a day or at least once a day. And it is heavily tied to our identity and our sense of self. And sometimes when you make a change related to your own eating habits, people tend to immediately think, well, what does that mean with respect to me and myself and my own eating habits? Even if your behavior change um, has nothing to do with the other person, that's just where our minds tend to go is because we're social creatures and we're constantly looking how our behaviors are measuring up or what they mean with respect to other people's behaviors. Um, So what you can do when you are making this behavior change is the first thing you should probably do if if you know that it may affect 
immediate family members or your close friends um, and that your identity is changing. Um, so, for example, if your doctor recommends you need to not eat so much red meat and they want you to eat more of a plant-based diet, but you grew up in a culture that heavily valued eating red meat and you are a grill master and you've engaged in all of these practices your whole life of, I'm a meat eater. Um, and now, for the sake of your health, you have to change, make that identity change. One of the first things you could do is have an honest, explicit conversation with people and say, uh, I would say, especially those people you're going to come into contact with frequently, and say, hey, I am making this change in service of my own personal health, and it's not a reflection on you or anyone else, but this is something that I have to do for me. And you can tell them, like, I would appreciate your support and if that's too difficult for you, then we'll have to figure that out. And then knowing that, um, again, you're diving into the cold water, those uncomfortable thoughts uh, are going to start to show up when you're going into these everyday interactions with people to share foods and using your skill of present moment awareness to notice when those thoughts are showing up. So you're noticing I'm having this uncomfortable thought. And then you move into diffusion of, but this is just this thought and nothing more and it can't hurt me. And then you move into that acceptance component of, and I'm going to let this thought sit here with me while I eat this salad. And I'm going to notice the thought of, man, I really wish I was eating that burger right now. I'm going to let that thought be there with me while I bite into this salad. And maybe you engage in some values clarification in the moment too, where you ask yourself, um, or you tell yourself, I am eating this salad because it's in service of my health. And why do I care about my health? Because I want to be there when my child graduates high school. I want to be sitting there supporting them. And if I continue to live the life uh, and eat the way that I have been, I may not make it to that graduation. So you find something in your life that is, again, overarching. Maybe you're eating in service of your personal health for your family. Maybe it's for just you because you've always, you've wanted to retire and you're picturing your retirement day. You find something to link it to and you notice me eating the salad right here is this small committed action in service of that larger later value of mine. Yeah, and I really like how you brought up the graduation part because one of the things that uh, is important when we think about our value is like you mentioned with West and we've been using health as that is, it is an a direction we're going and what health means for you will be different than what health means for somebody else. Yeah. And health is uh, really misrepresented in our culture. We have really tightly anchored it to a body mass, a uh, gene size, you know, how many miles you can run. It has a lot of societal assumptions that we want to break down because health is really about living. It's about getting up every day and achieving the goals that you want to achieve. Mm -hmm. And so if that means that you are able to attend a graduation or pick up your child or that you live long enough to see your grandchildren grow up, like those are all aspects of health. Um, it doesn't really matter how many miles you run or what type of exercise you yeah. do or what kind of, what foods make up your diet as long as 
those foods make you feel like you have the energy to get through your day and that they do that in a way that sustains you over longer periods of time and in such ways that you are less likely to accumulate more and more um, uh, chronic conditions that you have to manage on a daily basis. And so um, an important aspect of health is first identifying what that means for you and if you are living with other people and uh, what that means for your family because mm-hmm. you all might have the value of health and have different avenues of getting there. Exactly. And that's the thing with uh, we might have shared values, but our goals are very context specific. So um, me and my mother, we both value health. That's I think that's why I wanted to go into healthcare because I've been I just grew up in this culture of valuing these things. But our goals and how we accomplish those things look very differently. Um, She's had multiple foot surgeries, so she can't do some of the exercises and workout routines that I can do. Um, Because her body, just her physical therapist, there's certain exercises that they've told her and her doctors have told her, you shouldn't be doing these exercises, you should be doing those. And so her goals and how she lives in alignment with health is not going to look like waking up at 5 a.m. every day and working out for an hour. That's just a different repertoire and it's it works for me, but it doesn't work for her. Her goals are going to be maybe smaller. and so it's the same thing with our dieting goals. Going on in a raw vegan diet may work for one individual, but not another individual. Yeah. Eating uh, eggs or dairy or fish may help one individual or not another. Um, and so it's just also learning that even though we can all have shared values, our goals and the way that we live in alignment with those values are really context specific and need to be individual specific. Yeah. And when you're getting started in that pre-contemplation to contemplation phase where you are starting to think about wanting to make this change and how to make this change and the amount of advertising and media that is directed at specific Uh, niches within this field um, make it very difficult to feel empowered in your own individual decision making. Everything is sort of geared towards do this thing, look how it worked for everybody else in this one group and it can work for you too. And in a sense, it is not the full story and it gives you sort of false hope and it profits off of this false hope. And so I would caution you to think about um, what you are being motivated to do in such a way that you're able to think, is, am I doing this because it is quick and easy? Or am I doing this because I have access to it? Am I doing this because it's convenient? Am I doing this because of social pressures? Am I doing this because everyone else is doing this? It's my community. It's what my family is doing. And really analyze the motivation behind that action you take because it can appear to be um, in line with your health if you are sort of um, swept into the false narrative and advertising that is being put out there. Um, But if you take a step back and say, I am going to look at the data and I'm going to consider what I can do, what is actually in line with my values, um, and this is in line with my values, then you're actually moving forward in a way that uh, unhinges you from the 
expectations and the pressures of that group so that if you do need to pivot, you are more empowered to pivot later on. Um, as you develop your health, you will find certain things work for you and certain things don't, and you'll uh, be able to individualize it greater. Um, but when you anchor into the basic advertising, it can really limit your progression as you go because as soon as it stops working for you, uh, there's a lot of blame and shame that those groups kind of cultivate that it's your fault that you're failing or you don't really care about X, Y, and Z if you're failing. And, and that can um, just cause a lot of this yo-yo dieting, this uh, shame, blame, binge eating, like all of these negative um, things that come around with these diets that we see. Well, and another good thing to ask yourself is, again, like you define what success means for you and you define what failure means to you. And so during those couple months where I was working my way up to getting to the gym every day, um, me making it to the gym once a week, twice a week felt like success to me because I knew this is a long lifestyle change. I have my entire life to work up into this goal. And so just those small little bits of behavior change was my criteria of success. And a really good question you can ask yourself, whether it's whether or not you should engage in a physical activity or you're in a Starbucks and you have to decide what you're going to choose from that menu, is you can ask yourself, what is this decision in service of? And that's a, that's a question you can ask with all of your lifestyle choices. Um, so even if you're, if maybe you've been drinking a little too much or you've been watching too much TV and you want to decrease that or whatever the behavior changes, you can ask yourself as you're engaging in these behaviors, what is this in service of? Is this serving me? Is this serving my values? How, does, how would my future self view this situation? Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. And um, I think that also if you find that you have... Um, made a choice based on a like looking a certain way or body weight um, to recognize the emotions that surround that as well mm-hmm. because um, what we're going to talk about in our next episode is control and feeling overwhelmed and um, so part of this is if you've already made choices or if something really motivates you like looking a certain way or bikini or weight or something like that Uh, taking a step back and being like, what is that in service of? And how does this make me feel? Like, what are the feelings that come up when I think about this goal? And so we're going to end here. And then our next episode, which is part two, we're going to be talking about feeling overwhelmed and uh, fear-based decision-making and how to get through that whole crux in behavior change.